0: I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be silent. First Timothy 2.12 Cool. So God violated his own word and ordinances for Miss Sarah? This God you serve is very different than the one the scriptures tell about. We should stop blaming God for who we think we are. The only thing guaranteed is that God made you a sinner. If he saves you, then he's made you saved. He didn't make you a reverend, pastor, gay, straight, etc. certainly didn't make you to ignore his scriptural truth.
1: Probably better to explain to others and come to repentance than to explain to God when it's judgment time. Don't be foolish. Repent towards the Lord. I'm Sarah. you ever felt like you're stuck between two worlds and you stand in a gap? That's how I've been feeling lately. I feel like I have a lot of friends who fit into what's considered a progressive camp, and I have a lot of friends who fit into what seems like a conservative camp. And I don't know how you feel, but lately it feels like being in the middle is difficult and sometimes treacherous. That became really obvious recently on my own Twitter and Facebook wall. One post ended up blowing up, and it became a battle and war of the wards. And it made me feel even more like I stood in a gap, and I didn't belong in either place. So I called one of my friends that I'm so grateful for. So today, you'll hear me and Mike McCark, or as many call him, Science Mike. I tweeted about John Piper, one of our faves. (laughs) John Piper came out with a statement saying that women shouldn't be seminary professors. And some of my favorite professors have been women. Some of my favorite people in the world are women who are seminary professors. And it felt because he said, you know, men who are being trained to be pastors, again, men who are training to be pastors should not have to be under the headship of women. All I tweeted was, I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting this fight. At the time, I was tired of fighting for a place at the table because I'd walked by a a conference room like two months before and seen a table, literally like a table you would imagine Jesus sitting at for the Last Supper, filled with guys who are church planters in my city. And I wasn't invited, even though I know several of them personally. And it was a small group for pastors planting churches. And I was like, oh, those are a bunch of different denominations. So that's not why I'm not there. Uh, and so all I wrote was I'm tired of trying to explain why I belong at the table. I'm just tired. I don't want to fight this fight anymore. And then internet trolls came and they came hard, man. These people found my Facebook and started commenting about how I needed to repent and all this stuff. that's really pretty scary. And it was scary too, because about two weeks before that I got in a letter where someone had described the very violent and gross sexual things they wanted to do to me because we were spiritually connected. So as a woman in ministry, I already exist with this level of fear, right? Like, I'm not allowed to shut people out of the church. They they show up. I mean, I can if they do something. It's an open place. So there's no way of knowing who it is that wrote the letter. He could be there every Sunday. I don't know. There's no way of knowing that I'm safe. So even this these internet trolls take on a whole new level when you're like, huh, you're searching me out. The thing that was really helpful for me that day is that you didn't call me. You didn't text me. You FaceTime me. And you gave me what I would call the theological version of you is pretty, you is kind, (laughs) (laughs) you is smart (laughs) in the middle of a Denver street. And the funny thing was my heart was so tired that I just held the phone looking at your face because you're one of my best friends and I'm weeping. And (laughs) these people are walking by us because they think this poor couple has been separated (laughs) by war (laughs) or something. Cause I'm just going, but I'm so lonely. And you're saying, I miss you. And they're thinking this, we've just experienced a lovely moment. But for me, it was so helpful to hear from someone else because I think it's easy to feel so like you're standing in the gap between progressive, conservative, whatever it might be. You want to love both sides and you feel like your arms are getting ripped off. (laughs) And so I wanted to talk a little bit about what it's like and how you maintain that. And I know it's been a process for you of learning how to let go of some of that. Um, But when you're attacked at such a personal level, um, yeah, that's a lot, by the way. I know I just threw a lot at you. So just start talking and we'll work around it.
0: (laughs) It starts with knowing who you are and what you're doing and being so clear about that. Because when you start to do any kind of public work, and this includes pastoring, pastoring is public work. It's like the gnarliest public work possible because you work with the same people every week. And that's harder than being on a television show or something because the audience that consumes your work can show up at your house. But when people do public work in our culture, um, two things happen. One, people start to relate to them as if they know them. It's called a parasocial yep. relationship. So their brains start to map this figure they don't actually know as if they're someone they know personally. Right. And that creates strange behaviors that people aren't aware of that are, are weird for the person receiving the behavior. That's one. Two... You become a commodity that people consume. Right. So uh, and some of that is good. Some of that is what you're trying to do. Some of that is bad in that people treat you like uh, something on sale at Target. <laughs> and that means if they love you, they fawn over you in a way that can be off-putting and strange. And if they disagree with you, then they go at you with the same veracity as they would go at a box of cornflakes that had a cockroach in it.
1: (laughs) That is a really good analogy.
0: (laughs) They treat you like a product instead of a person, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the flip side of the parasocial relationship is the dehumanization and the creation of commodity. So through the counsel of friends I had who do public work, I learned very quickly to establish boundaries. Um, I have a friend who does public work who is incredibly present with people and incredibly vulnerable and incredibly open. But as soon as he leaves the room, he's, he forgets the people exist. He's on because this friend is more present with people than I've ever seen anyone be in public. He'll stand after an event and hug 3000 people in a row, but then he's, then he moves on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I learned there's a discipline of being present with people, but not they don't take root in your heart. Right. Uh, And then I also learned I just don't care what strangers think about me or my work. I don't care. So any random tweet, good or bad, it it carries like a hair's weight. (laughs) On my feelings. <laughs> I wish I was that which way, which means lots and lots and lots of them can start to add up. Uh, and if I'm having like a really bad day, and someone sends me that I don't know something incredibly kind on Twitter, that can actually genuinely make my day. Uh, but pretty much, when people come at me like knives out, I I just through through practice, I just don't care at all. I can look at what they're saying. And I can process is there is there something I need to hear in this is can this help me do my work better, but uh, There's a one of the original humorous online in video is a guy named zay frank And he has this wonderful video called an invocation for beginnings.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right You showed it to me.
0: I have a poster of <laughs> yep on my wall and he says and i'll paraphrase um, the impact of the critique You know, may have nothing to do with uh, the original critique, but when the intent is evil, that's what the block button is for. Mm. So, people, it doesn't matter what people are saying if they just want to hurt me. I just block and mute those people and forget they ever existed. And I I also usually think, yeah, this person is probably operating out of a, a place of tremendous pain, but, and this goes back to being really clear on who you are and what you're trying to do. For those of us who's Work and life began in the church. We've been told that it is important to be like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Jesus literally sacrificed himself for the salvation of all mankind, which is a feat I cannot replicate.
1: Yeah, but I can. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh,
0: But uh, you know what I mean? Like there's, I'm just, I'm just me. I'm just a guy. So I can do my best to invite others into redemption whatever that means to me and means to them mm-hmm. but if i literally die it doesn't help other people so <sighs> i have a constant awareness of what i can actually do and what can i actually do i can speak into people's lives to the extent that they invite me into them but since i'm not they're actual friend and I can't actually sit at a dinner table and listen to them like I can with you for example (laughs) at some point they have to take initiative and find people other than me to take the next step and you know I, I just don't have any illusion that I can be there for every person in every crisis and I learned that from that those emails at first I got to the point where I was getting 3,000 to 5,000 messages a month from people in in faith crisis of some kind. And I answered them all. Yeah. I would get on the phone with people who were like in crisis, contemplating suicide. And I would stay on the phone for three hours on a work night. And it almost ended me and my friends and my wife, especially were like, Hey, (laughs) This has to stop and what I found was at first I thought like what a selfless awful approach And what I found is is actually way more effective to just acknowledge what I can actually do for people and what I can't do for people And that that kind of cloud of witnesses that spoke into my life. I didn't know I was gonna use that phrase I like that very methodist of you has given me a pretty healthy approach to public work where I genuinely do help a lot of people. Yeah, you do. Uh, but I also am, am relatively healthy in my relationship to them and my under, you know, just my general life outlook. But that that comes from you know several years of of hard lessons and and I, I, some of it might be temperament. I know friends who've been doing public work longer than I have mm-hmm. who uh, don't have the same psychological lightness associated with their work that I do. Um, but I've always been like my personality, you know, they say, um, I, there's a cliche that I can't remember. That's basically like, you can't teach people. They can only learn by hurting themselves or whatever. And I've always been a person that's been like, well, why don't, if someone else, like if something went horribly wrong, I'll just learn from them doing it. (laughs) I don't have to replicate that experiment myself because I'm, I'm lazy.
1: I think for me, I just know that. Because of who I think, and I always say, I always preface things, I think, which I learned recently as a girl thing um, that we've been taught uh, to in public spheres, uh, women more often before they say something that they actually know to be declaratively true, say, I think it's because instead of just saying it, <laughs> I know that I am created instead of, I think, I know I'm created as someone who can um, really stand in a gap that not a lot of people can. So that room I told you about where they've never had a woman uh, invited to the table. And they're a new small group. You know, they've only been meeting for a little while. They welcomed me last Mm. week and asked me to come. And I sat in a room that some of my colleagues would never even go in because for them, it's like, well, they're all like non-denom or denominations that don't believe in women in ministry. Why would you even be in there? And my point is, if I'm not at that table, they'll never meet someone like me. They'll never hear from a woman who's been called into this. So I feel a level of responsibility to that. And I feel like I am unique in that I get invited into those spaces. And I feel like I do an okay job of representing this side of things. Because just right now, our country is so divided and people just stand on one side or the other screaming. And I don't feel like we get a chance to heal or change unless we are in relationship with each other. Mm. That's why I love the work of Sarah Silverman right now, as she's going to people's homes and having dinner with them and being vulnerable with them and allowing them to be vulnerable with her. I think that's the only way forward. But I know for me, I'm already feeling incredibly judged because of my job, right? So every week I put something out. Every week I, I do a performance. We'll call it that. It's not that, it's a sermon. But I do a performance and people get to say whether that worked or didn't work for them. It's mini theater every week. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in that I have a great congregation of great people who are often like, that was really important to me. But I think doing this work as well is hard because there's this sense that I feel the responsibility to pastor people And I don't know how to turn that off. You know, so the guy that wrote those awful things about me, I kept thinking about Sarah Silverman responded to a guy who wrote really awful things about her. And it turned out he was like contemplating suicide and hated himself. And as an empathic person, or maybe just the way that I was created or the way I was raised, I'm always worried, like, what if I don't help them? So it's helpful for me to hear from you that like, at some point, you just go, that's not you know, they need to find a therapist. You you can't be the savior of them all. And I don't know how to do that. And I also don't know how to be in the gap. I don't know how to stand in the gap when I, when I feel so uh, alone in it. And I guess you find your tribe and mm. we have our tribe of people who are in that gap. But how do you deal with the fact that half of your family thinks one way and a lot of your friends think the other way?
0: It's not half of my family. of your family probably not 89% of my family (laughs) Um, how do I deal with that Um, the road to madness is the attempt to control other people oh dang (laughs) so I don't walk that road ever I don't get on the road of controlling other people's Actions or thoughts or feelings. um I can influence people.
1: By the way, that's a weird term they've started using for us. Influencers. We're social influencers.
0: It's a weird term, but th- <laughs> there's a core idea there. Um, you ever see that movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze?
1: Of course, I saw the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze.
0: A living, a living person in that movie could control someone. They could physically grab them. They could make them do something, but the ghosts they if they tried to, they would just pass through people and they learned with incredible focus that they could just kind of, you know, with great effort, pass through something, but then move it a little bit, right? Make a Coke can move. Mm-hmm. That's influence. Right. So I just try to influence people in ways that benefit themselves and society, to the best of my ability, knowing that I'll be wrong sometimes, and when I learn that I'm wrong, I apologize and make restitution and move on. Um, but you know the, the vast swath of my family that thinks our president is chosen by God to represent the faith in office. Mm-hmm. That it, that we finally have a Christian in office, and who supports or pretends doesn't exist the outright racism and sexism and discrimination associated with the president. Um, when I can, I speak truth (laughs) into their lives. Um, but I understand like that that's limited. Um, and I understand that like most of my family thinks I'm, off the reservation and a problem. (laughs) You
1: did move to LA.
0: And that's, that just is what it is. So, Mm -hmm. but I don't, you can't control people. You can't. So don't try. Yeah. Uh, I can't control what people think about me. I don't try. So if it, if I see a, a, a thread online somehow where people are just tearing apart my work or me personally, I just close the window and move on. I can't control what people think about me. I don't really care what people think about me. Um my work is not animated by a desire for people's approval. That's not what it is.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: My work is 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 from a desire to address suffering and then mm-hmm. I address suffering most effectively Only when I actually take care of myself, I don't address suffering by perpetually suffering myself.
1: Yeah, I think the problem (laughs) for me is that I, I do sometimes try to fill that role of rabbi and savior. (laughs) So, well, if only like I can, I can help only I can help them. And it's not true. And I think we also don't know like what part of the story we're playing, right? Like I might give a suggestion and it makes you angry and who I am might even make you angry. And that's the hard part too, is like for a lot of my work, it's not just my ideas, but my actual physical presence that bothers people. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I've noticed about me is that for a while, I think I read recently, actually a good friend of mine who's really into the Enneagram told me that. Twos, when unhealthy, sometimes move to an eight, mm. um, which is questioning and like kind of thing. And I think for me, because I feel like my personhood is constantly questioned, um, whether or not I am okay to be me as a female, as a woman who's teaching and preaching and leading. And um, I moved to an eight of questioning and taking for me, if I could understand it and if I could explain to people how it works and i i just sort of overintellectualize everything and then dismiss anything that doesn't fit into my intellectual understanding um that's actually not how i want to live and especially not how i want to do my faith um and i think that's what i was seeing in myself even to the point of like in my closest relationships instead of explaining where i how i've gotten to this place of including uh folks, how I've gotten to this place of being a female in leadership, I just like kind of said, like, go do the work yourself, read about it. Like, here's some scholastic stuff, check it out, instead of uh, having the one on one conversation. So I think it's recognizing the difference between my interpersonal relationships, and then my church relationships, and then the broader sphere, because in the broader sphere, I think you're right, I can say, I'm not going to care about what you think. (laughs) I'm just going to do my work because it frees people. And because I get You know, I don't get as many emails or text messages as you get, but I get a lot of direct messages of people uh, saying, Hey, like your work that you're doing on your podcast, the honesty, the way that you are. I mean, I have all these people who, the most surprising thing for me has been male pastors who have texted me or direct messaged me or emailed me saying, I didn't realize, like, I feel exactly the way you feel. I feel like I'm not a human, I feel like I'm a commodity. I feel like I can't date because, you know, whatever it might be. Or, you know, I got a letter from a woman uh, yesterday that she's – not in the same profession, she's married, she's all these things, but she feels the same way I feel as far as trying to be authentic in the world and not having a job that everyone thinks that you're lovely and kind and that you love your job every day and her saying like, you're the first person who's ever articulated that it's okay to not love your serving job, like serving other people. <laughs> so I think I just need to be reminded every now and then that that I, it's not up to me to control how people feel about me, but I also don't know how to live in that space I guess by talking to you guys more about it but it's hard it's hard to admit that like I'm tired
0: (laughs) yeah well I think you know your your reticence to meditate acknowledged things like mindfulness and Mm -hmm. cognitive behavior therapy are incredibly helpful as you go about doing that because Mindfulness teaches you to uh, watch and observe and be aware of your thoughts and your feelings. And cognitive behavior therapy will teach you to interrupt those thoughts and push back or correct them. So uh, that's a lot of what I do, is I become aware as something impacts me or causes me to fixate. And then I just train myself to stop in that moment and say, "You know what? What that person is saying is not true." And I, I might have to do that a hundred times, but in time. But having that discipline of going through and interrupting, or when you internalize what people are saying, and you know, if you have this this thought that, uh, gosh, what. I'm not a good pastor.
1: Oh yeah, that happens on the daily.
0: <laughs> right, so you stop that and you say, that's not true. <laughs> I am a, I'm a great pastor. And I know I'm a great pastor because, and you, you've, got, you've got a lot of people in your life, Sarah, that love you and tell you what you mean in their lives. Obviously, starting here, I would not be a Christian or doing. I'd be a pretty well-known <laughs> atheist YouTuber if I, I didn't know you right or i'd be like a new age science mystic. i don't know the my the, <laughs> i am in the church and in the the methodist church specifically because of you right so so you you take those things you put them in a little a little pouch and then as you uh-huh. become aware you're having these thoughts that are tearing you down, you stop them and you say, no, that's not true. Look, I've got this in the pouch. <laughs> Science Mike is only I wish a Methodist people could see. because I literally have a small pouch here I could have used as a visual. I reach <laughs> in the pouch and pull out a happy pushback. Um, but you just, we get in these loops, these self-destructive loops, because the thing is, as a pastor especially, people say really horrible, unkind things to you frequently. Mm -hmm. yeah. Be careful listening to me. I'm not clergy. If someone Mm -hmm. says something really hurtful to me, I I tend to do things like say, gosh, that really hurt my feelings, what you just said. And people, they'll back up when you say that. that. That was very hurtful. So it's one thing to share an honest and necessary critique. It's another thing to just tear people down.
1: It's a weird sphere because I think people think they can do that to pastors. It's, it's almost like we exist in both the world where people have that relationship they have with a celebrity that they think mm-hmm. they know them and then they see them all the time. So there's this weird uh, double bind, right? Like I know her, but they don't really know me and I'm expected every day to show up Capable of handling whatever they're dealing with, which is sometimes true. But I also think they don't see the line of people after church who are coming up to talk to me. And some of them are putting really nice things into my hands. And some of them are putting um, that song that you chose, like made me want to leave Christianity. I mean, not really, but people say like really horrible things that you're like, okay, have a good day. Like, I don't really know what to do with that. Or that sermon wasn't good. Or that was. And I think we dehumanize people when we put them on a pedestal, good or bad. We dehumanize people. And it's only when I'm connected with my humanity and the humanity of the person I'm talking to. Like, this isn't my thing. I didn't bring this into the room, but I I need to start doing practices. I think mindfulness is something I started actually after my recent breakup, because I realized like, wow, I'm really taking this hard, but I think I'm taking it hard for lots of reasons, he was incredible. It's not just that, but it's also taking it hard because it felt like I wasn't showing up as my full self and I'm wondering mm. why. So meditation's part of that. Yeah, having that little s- satchel of people who I-, I know that had I not journeyed with them, they wouldn't be where they are. And it's one of my favorite things, by the way. I love going to like liturgist gatherings and realizing like I sat on the couch between you and Michael the first day you guys <laughs> met. <laughs> and i remember michael saying i'm having all these thoughts and he's telling me cuz i'm a pastor and i literally remember moving my body back on the couch and going michael <laughs> mike <laughs> and it it was like one of the best best gifts of my life because then the two of you got up and started talking and lisa gungor and i turned to each other and started talking we realized that we have very similar mm. personalities very similar so i get fed at like events where i see you and michael vishnu das freeing people because I think for whatever little piece I played in that, man, I love this.
0: But even that, here's, here's, here's the road between kind of where you are and, and where I am. Because I actually feel like I'm doing exactly what I should be doing every day. I feel no question about my mission or worthiness. Mm-hmm. But the reason is when I go to that room, I know... I can't free people. It's impossible. I can show them the lock and the chain and the key, but I can't free them. Um, And then sometimes I know I can't even show them the lock or the chain or the key because whatever's holding them down is so different from anything I've experienced or studied. That all I can do with that person is say "I'm here with you. you know what i mean so so the the, uh-huh. the 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 a big shift I think to a satisfying life is simply to be present with others so what 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 Michael and I try to do at a gathering is simply be present so we we make a plan, we have an agenda. By an agenda, I mean a list of things, <laughs> a program.
1: And by we have a list of things, you have Correct. a list of we things. We don't share that
0: with our guests. <laughs> uh,
1: and Vishnu and Michael just shows up <laughs> and goes, oh yeah, that's a good one.
0: <laughs> yeah, but the whole thing is we're trying to honor the energy of these particular people in this particular moment. and uh, And then that's it. That's it. Because I, you know, I've done the evangelical thing. I'm here to meet my salvation quota for the day. I'm Ooh, here to no sell thanks. some Jesus. We've got a, we've got a BOGO going on right now. If you and your spouse <laughs> say the sinner's prayer, you both get out of hell for the same price. Um, oh, that's great. And you know, I'm just—that's the stuff you've got to learn to shake off. I think healthy public work and indeed a healthy life comes with an intimate understanding of our limitations yes because with that becomes a freeing lowering of our expectations mike's
1: right it isn't my job to save people and it isn't my job to control the outcome of how people experience my work instead my job is to be completely and authentically me and so i've taken up his challenge to start mindfulness and meditation As you probably noticed over the last couple of episodes, I have been sick uh, over a month. So on the next episode, you'll go with me and John as I go to the acupuncturist. And we can find out if being a human pincushion can actually help you find health and happiness. Sondra the Podcast is hosted by me, Sarah Heath. This episode was produced by myself, Allie Fleming, and Corey Severi. Corey is also our very talented team editor, and Allie creates our graphics. Visit us anytime on our website, www.sondralesthepodcast.com, which was created by Alex Maldonado. Our theme song was written and performed by Daniel Roberts. If you like the show, hit subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So until next time, keep looking for your bliss. And thanks so much for listening.